Take out your Bibles with me. If you don't have a sermon study guide and you'd like to have one, just lift up your hand and the ushers will be Johnny in the spot to get you one this morning. Uh, how many of you dads, how many of you dads out there have suffered through what I've had to experience with a son growing up in your home and you getting older? Let me delineate. There was a time, there was a time that I was always bigger, stronger, and faster when it came to my son Jonathan, who's now 30 years of age and pastors in Southern California. There was a time that we hit the basketball court, I'd outshoot him, outplay him any day of the week. Soccer, I'm an old soccer uh, captain from, from university, and uh, outmaneuver him uh, on the soccer field. Uh, tennis, I mean, it was a joke uh, playing him. And then there came the day where he won his first tennis game against me. And there was no turning back. And I don't care how much I worked out, how much I practiced, there came a tipping point. I couldn't beat him in tennis, couldn't beat him in one-on-one -on -one basketball. It was like a hot knife cutting through butter. When it came to soccer, I felt like I was standing still. I mean, even in ping pong, which doesn't take that much exertion. He would outplay me, and he still beat. I still have racquetball on him, though. I think. <laughs> so, no longer, no longer is it uh, stronger. No longer uh, is it uh, faster. There's only one thing that I still hold on to. I'm still bigger. I can sit on him, and I weigh more than him. And the dads out there would say. Amen. Hallelujah. When, when former boxing heavyweight champion Mike Tyson was asked if he would try for the heavyweight boxing title again, I love what Mike Tyson said. Mike Tyson said, and I quote, I'm out of shape. I'm too old, and I'm just too exhausted. Would you agree with me? It's one thing to become a champion, and it's a whole other thing to remain a champion. Remaining a champion is what God has called you and I to. He's called us, if you look on the side walls, and that's our theme for the year, He's called us to be overcomers. And that's why I've called 2016 in the name of Jesus, Overcomers 2016. Remaining a champion. Where does that leave Jesus? Where does that leave Christianity? Is Christianity more than Jesus dying on a cross? Yes, because the cross is only one half, one half of the story. Look with me, if you would, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 through 41 this morning. Matthew chapter 12, within your Bibles. The Bible says, the Jewish leaders came to Jesus, asking him to show them a miracle, to prove that he was the Messiah. But Jesus replied, none will be given except what happened to Jonah, the prophet. For as Jonah was in the great fish for three days and Three nights, so I, the Messiah, shall be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. What is Jesus predicting here? What is Jesus pointing to here? Anybody know? The resurrection, his resurrection. Jesus would go on to say in John 2.19, destroy this temple. What is Jesus referring to here? His body, and I will raise it again. In three days. What is this ultimate sign? This ultimate miracle that Jesus is pointing to that would prove 
that he is indeed the Messiah. The resurrection from the dead 16 times. Mark it down well in your mental notepad. 16 times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus predicts his resurrection from the dead. Now anybody can predict their death. I'll be a prophet here today. I'll be a prophet right now. Barring the rapture of the church, I'm going to die one day. And so are you. Isn't that an encouraging word? Anybody can predict their death. But it's a whole other thing to predict your resurrection. And that's just what Jesus did. He not only did it, he not only predicted it, he fulfilled it. Real Christianity, you see, is more than a simple love ethic. Liberals today are reducing the church and Christianity to a simple, I love you, and you're to love me. That's a fine, fine ethic, but that's no different than what Confucius taught his followers. Love others as they love you. Christianity is more than a love ethic. Christianity stands or falls on the truth that Jesus resurrected from the dead. The Messiahship of Jesus, your salvation, the church, miracles, blessings, being overcomers, and our eternal life, our eternal hope in heaven, all stands on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is so pivotal that Paul the Apostle taught. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is what? Futile. It's empty. And you are still in your sins. If our hope is in a dead Savior, then we're in the same boat as the Muslims, the Buddhists, and the followers of Confucius. But the record is clear. Muhammad is dead. Buddha is dead. Confucius is dead. But Jesus is alive forevermore. Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory to God. We serve a risen Savior, and He's in the world today. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ could be disproved, Christianity as we know it would fall like a house of cards. This morning, I want to start off by examining, is the resurrection of Jesus hoax or history? I want to give you a word this morning, the unconquerable Christ. The unconquerable Christ. Would you begin to fill in the blanks with me this morning? As we look at four ways that critics try to conquer the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The oldest anti-resurrection theory is the theft theory. This was the cover-up story that the religious leaders used. Listen to what they, how they bribed the Roman soldiers. Listen to what they told them. Matthew 28, the chief priests had met with the elders. They devised a plan. They gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. Would you circle that word asleep? Asleep. Again, I believe in more than preaching. I believe that Sunday morning should be a teaching experience, an equipping experience as well. Can you imagine the disciples being grave robbers? Describe for me the emotional state of the disciples at the death of Jesus Christ. What were they doing? Where were they at? They were in hiding. They were hiding in an upper room. They were panicked that any moment the door would burst open, soldiers would come in and crucify them as well. Can you imagine the disciples taking on a whole platoon of soldiers after running out on Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? And taking on those soldiers and stealing the body of Jesus? How about the precautions that... Uh, the Romans and the uh, Jewish leaders took. 
they stationed around the tomb a whole platoon of Roman soldiers. That means anywhere from 10 to 30 soldiers. When was the last time you drove by a cemetery and saw a tomb being guarded, a dead man being guarded? The most unique precautions for any dead man were taken upon the dead body of Jesus Christ. Not only was a platoon of soldiers stationed around his sepulcher, but the Romans put the mighty Roman seal upon that tomb. Anyone breaking that seal would incur the military wrath of the Roman government and empire. I used to put a seal on my bedroom door. I used to put a piece of tape down at the bottom of my bedroom door, between the door and the door frame, to see if my mom had been investigating and exploring in my bedroom while I was at school during the day. If I came home and saw the piece of tape broken, I knew mom had been in my room. That's the purpose of the Roman seal. It was placed upon the tomb so that it would be tamper-proof. If the seal is broken, you incur the wrath of the entire Roman Empire upon yourself. And then on top of that precaution, they had, of course, the mighty Golal. The Golal is the Greek word for exceeding great stone that blocked the entranceway to the tomb. Church tradition tells us in the second century that it took 20 men to roll that stone into place. So think of the precautions that were taken. Could the disciples have overcome all those precautions? On top of that, if the soldiers were fast asleep, how did they know it was the disciples that were the grave robbers? The theft theory right on its face is false. Jesus is the unconquerable Christ. Another way the critics have tried to refute the resurrection of Jesus Christ is to explain it away as mass hallucination. Mass hallucination. If the resurrection of Jesus was a hoax, if it was a mass hallucination, it would have to be the grandest, the largest, the biggest mass hallucination in all human history. Because the Bible reports, Paul reports in 1 Corinthians, he appeared to more than 500 people. And it would have had to have been the first mass hallucination to happen at different places, at different times, over how many days? Forty days. It would have had to have been the first mass hallucination to able to talk, to have been able to say what Jesus said in Luke 24. Touch me. Make sure that I am not a... Ghost, because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. Then Jesus asked, Do you have anything to eat? That's the same thing I asked Becky late at night. Do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it as they watched. When was the last time a hallucination was able to do those things? Think of it. It would have been the first mass hallucination to so inspire the early Christians that they laid down their lives for a hallucination. They gave up their lives in martyrdom for a hallucination, a hoax, instead of the truth. No! confronted by the facts, the hallucination theory. It's a joke. It's false. Jesus remains the unconquerable Christ. Thirdly, then there's the wrong tomb, or I call it the male chauvinist theory. The wrong tomb theory or the male chauvinist theory. Critics, get a hold of this. You gals will love this. Critics say that the women on that first Easter Sunday morning, the women got confused. They got turned around. 
They didn't know their left from their right. They didn't know their north from their south, their east from their west. They got confused and went to the wrong tomb, an empty tomb, and joyfully reported that Jesus had resurrected from the dead because they went to the wrong tomb. Well, the problem with that theory, if the women went to the wrong tomb, so did Peter and John go to the wrong tomb. So did the angels go to the wrong tomb. And if the religious leaders wanted to prove that it was all a hoax, why didn't the religious leaders go to the right tomb and produce a dead body and they would have dismissed the whole affair immediately? Listen, in consideration of all the facts, again, the wrong tomb theory is wrong reasoning. Jesus remains the unconquerable Christ. Finally, there's the Da Vinci Code theory. The Da Vinci Code theory. Dan Brown turned it into a best-selling book, which was then turned into a popular movie starring Tom Hanks, The Da Vinci Code. And the basis for the Da Vinci Code theory is that Christ on the cross did not die. He merely passed out. He merely swooned. And then in the moist, cool air of the tomb, he revived and declared himself as the Messiah, Lord of Lords and King of Kings, resurrected from the dead. And he perpetrated the resurrection hoax. Listen, let there be no doubt. Jesus died on the cross. Let there be no doubt. We have more facts. We have more evidence surrounding the death of Jesus of Nazareth than we do of any person in ancient history. Go ahead and name it. Julius Caesar, Alexander the Great, Cleopatra. Name any ancient great of the past. We have more evidence, more literature, more eyewitness testimony regarding the fact, proof positive, Jesus died than anyone else in history. John the Apostle was an eyewitness. John wrote in John 19, instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear. Why did the soldier do that? To make sure he was dead. And what came out when the side of Jesus was pierced? A sudden flow of blood and water. Now let me stop right here. The Roman soldiers who attended crucifixion were experts in death. They knew death. They, know how to, they knew how to deal death. They knew how to prove, prove positive that a person was dead. Verse 35, John reports the man who saw it has given testimony. His testimony is true. John is speaking of himself here. He's an eyewitness. He's given an eyewitness account. It's as though... Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John saw that this day would come, that they would presuppose that Jesus had not died upon the cross. So John writes, my testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies that you also may believe, proof positive, Jesus is dead. Doctors will tell you when out of the side, a wounded side, flows both blood and water. It is proof positive that the pericardium has been pierced and the person is dead. And this only takes place when a person has been crucified upon a cross because crucifixion involves drowning in your own bodily fluids as you hang suspended from that tree. Yes, Jesus died from a ruptured heart. He died from a broken heart, literally and spiritually.
Jesus, his dead body, was then embalmed in a hundred-pound mixture of aloes and myrrh that became like a gooey glue cement, wrapped up like a mummy and laid in the sepulcher, the tomb. Anyone believing that Jesus revived in the tomb after the horrendous scourging and whipping that he received that many didn't even make it to the cross after being so whipped. Any that would believe that Jesus revived in the tomb after the whipping, the crucifixion, the piercing of his side would have to believe that in the tomb, wrapped up like a mummy, Jesus would have all of a sudden revived the stone out of the way take on 10 to 30 Roman soldiers unwrap himself and this bleeding emaciated crucified Christ declares himself to the world as Lord of Lords and King of Kings listen the swoon theory the Da Vinci Code theory is so full of holes it whistles when it walks Twice in the last 150 years, all the evidence surrounding the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ has been presented in a court of law, both in England and here in the United States of America. Both times, both courts have rendered the same verdict. Jesus' resurrection is one of the most established facts in history. I quote, in the face of this world's so-called wisdom, Jesus still remains the unconquerable Christ. Amen. Praise the Lord. Oh, I would have enjoyed having a TV camera in the halls of hell that weekend when Jesus died and was raised from the dead. Can you imagine that Easter, first Easter Sunday morning in the halls of hell? Can you imagine Write it down, hell's party, the day that Jesus died. I can imagine that whole weekend the demons were dining, the demons were dancing, and the devil sat upon his throne, <laughs> boasting, he's dead! The Son of God is dead! So is their salvation, it's dead! Healing and miracles are dead! dead. Their hope for heaven is dead too. I've won. I am the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And then suddenly who's knocking on my door? Who's interrupting my party? And a little demon imp. Master. Master. I hate to tell you, but the stone, it's been rolled away. Watch! And then a booming, majestic voice blazes through the halls of hell. I am the resurrection and the life. All authority has been granted me in heaven and in earth. I am your King of kings. I am the Lord of lords. I am the unconquerable Christ. Hallelujah. Oh, mark it down well. Christ's resurrection is the ultimate proof. He is our Messiah. Hallelujah. It's one thing to prove from an apologetical defending of the faith way that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a fact. It's one thing to dramatize the fact that Jesus is Lord of Lords, King of Kings, the unconquerable Christ. 
But what does that mean to you in going to work tomorrow morning? What does it mean to me in leading your church under the great shepherd Jesus Christ? What does it mean to us to have a resurrection hope? Peter, the apostle, said this. In 1 Peter 1, Peter said, Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a what? Living hope. I want you to circle those two words right now. I want to find out, is your hope alive? I want to find out this morning, what kind of hope do you have? Do you have a hope that's based upon a dead Savior or a living Lord? Circle those two words, living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our unconquerable Christ gives us hope to do two things as we close up this morning. Two things. Number one, our unconquerable Christ grants a living hope to hold on. To hold on. I want to give you a very deep, profound, revelatory, theological truth. Here it is. Bad things happen. I'll say it again. Bad stuff happens. It's not a matter in life if bad stuff is going to happen. It's a matter of when. When. And God's operative word to you this morning is to hold on during those times to your resurrected, unconquerable Christ. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. What are you facing here this morning? What are you facing this week? And I've got to practice what I preach this morning, even as a pastor. And I'm standing before you here today. I don't know about tomorrow, but I know the one who holds tomorrow in his hands. And he's been faithful to us in the past. He's faithful to us right now. So what does that tell us about the future? We can hold on to him because he's got the future in his hands. He knows all about tomorrow. Trust him. Trust him. Hold on to him. Hold on to his promises. Hold on to his person. Hold on to his presence. I love the story of, uh, of airline pilot Henry Dempsey. Henry Dempsey is a commuter airplane pilot that flies a business jet, puddle jumper, from Boston to Maine, Maine to Boston every day. Henry Dempsey piloting his route, routine, flight, Suddenly, the light, the warning light in the cockpit began flashing. Loss of air pressure. The door was ajar in the plane. It had not been latched properly. He went back to the rear of that airplane to tightly latched the door. The reverse happened. It exploded outward, sucking him straight out. The plane immediately losing altitude. The co-pilot took control. And at the same time, once control was granted, he radioed search and rescue to give the general location. Somehow, perhaps by a miracle, since they were not at 30,000 feet, perhaps somehow by a, by a miracle, Henry Dimson was survived a fall into the ocean since they were over the ocean. Search and rescue never did find Henry Dimson. The good news is the runway crew did. <laughs> they found him holding on to the strut of the plane. They found him holding on despite the 200 mile per hour wind velocity, despite the frigid air of that altitude, despite uh, the, the, the terrific forces that were assailed against him. He held on no matter what. They found him teeth chattering, almost numb with cold, but he would not let go.
I said he would not let go. And if Henry Dempsey won't let go of an airplane strut, you and I surely cannot let go of our resurrected Lord and Savior, our unconquerable Christ. Next time you go through a storm, next time you face a battle, next time you're confronted with uncertainty, hold on to his promises because all of his promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hold on to him in prayer. Hold on to him by pressing into his presence with praise and worship. Trust him. Walk with him. Hold on to him. It's too soon to quit. Anybody can go A-W-O-L. Anybody can be a dropout. But you and I I can hold on to our Jesus because the unconquerable Christ will make you unconquerable too. Can I hear an amen this morning? Hallelujah. We're going to hold on. We're going to hold on. The second living hope truth is this. A living hope causes us to focus, focus, focus. I'm talking about your vision now on our unconquerable Christ. July 4th, 1952. Most of us don't remember that event. That's why I'm going to tell you about it. July 4th, 1952, Florence Chadwick attempted to be the first woman to ever swim 26 miles from Catalina Island to Long Beach, California. She was going to attempt what no other woman had ever attempted to swim those frigid waters, those shark-infested waters, and to make matters worse, as she was now 15 hours into her swim, a dense fog had settled in. And she could not see ahead of her. She could not see the land. She could not see the shoreline. Her coach in a boat in front of her was repeatedly encouraging her, keep going, keep going, hold on, hold on, you can make it. But after 15 hours, Florence lost heart. She gave up. And the tragedy was, she didn't know it, but she was just a half a mile from shore. For a swimmer, a small distance. Later when she was interviewed, oh, hear this. Later when she was interviewed, she said this, and I quote, If I could have seen the shore, if I could have seen the land, I could have, I could have made it. I want to ask you this morning, is there a fog it's a dense fog, a dense spiritual fog drifted in to your life, keeping you from seeing God's best, our unconquerable Christ, in the middle of your battle, your storm, <laughs> in the middle of your sickness. Jesus had an awful lot to say about the eyes of faith. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 6. Jesus said, the eye is the lamp of what? The body. Now, is Jesus talking about your natural eye here? No. No. It's, it, it relates, but Jesus is talking about your eyes of faith, your spiritual vision. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Even a blind person can be full of light if they have eyes of faith. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of what? Darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What kind of darkness are we talking about? Despair, doubt, discouragement, disappointment, defeatism, a spirit of death. You see, God, both spiritually and naturally, has created us as visual beings. Your natural eyeball takes in 4 million bytes of information every second. Your eyes 
take in information that creates a three-dimensional image in your brain. If I was to say the phrase right now to you in the midst of our Michigan winter that's almost over, almost over, almost over. If I was to say the phrase, sunny beach, would you see the words in your mind or see a picture? Sunny beach. Some of you are already there. I, I see people putting on suntan lotion right now. You wouldn't see words. You would see an image of a beautiful, sunny, white sand, beach, blue turquoise waters, waves lapping on the shore. You would see an image, not words. I want to ask you something. Young people, young adults, this is especially important for you. What picture, what picture, what picture do you have in your mind of yourself? What picture, what picture have you painted in your mind and in your spirit of your Lord? Is he, is he in a, a weak, suffering, emaciated, suffering Savior on a crucifix? Or is he the unconquerable Christ of the resurrection? What picture have you created of yourself and of, of your Lord? That picture of yourself and your Lord is like a thermostat. You will never rise higher than what you have gauged and set that picture to be. We produce what we continually keep in front of us. What we see. Last week I preached to you about the Mark chapter 5 woman. For 12 years, 12 years, 12 years, she suffered with a bleeding issue, with a hemorrhaging issue. She had a physical problem, a disease, where she had spent all of her money on doctors and she was no better for it. And then she heard that somebody, she heard that somebody was in town. And who was that somebody that had come to town? <laughs> she heard that Jesus was in town. And she said within her spirit, she said, If I can but touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. She conceived it. And later on she gave birth to it and Jesus himself validated what she had done by saying according to your faith you have been healed and made whole. What are you conceiving in your spirit? What are you keeping before your mind regarding yourself and regarding the lover of your soul, Jesus? What do you see through the eyes of faith? If you can conceive it in faith, you can birth it in faith. Hallelujah. You can't birth something you have not first conceived. Keep things in front of you. Hear me in this that you want to see come to pass. Change what you're seeing and you'll change what you're producing. This week I had the privilege of coming into the home of a dear member in this church and serving him and his wife Holy Communion. I used to play in the outfield with this dear brother on the church softball team back when I was stronger, bigger, faster. And he was stronger, bigger, faster. This dear brother of this church has been told by the doctors that they have exhausted all their resources. And they've offered him no hope. And he sat down with me. He looked me in the eye. And he said, Pastor, can you give me a word? Can you give me a word? And I said, my dear brother, I would recommend to you to change the decor in your house. I would recommend to you to put up pictures all around your house 
of yourself when you were happy, when you were healthy, and when you were whole, and when you were strong. And every which way you turn, I want you to see those pictures of yourself happy and healthy and whole and strong. I want you to post more importantly than that. I want you to post the the promises of God, which are yes and amen in Christ Jesus our Lord. Post it on the refrigerator door. Post it on the bedroom door. Put it upon your, your dresser, upon your night stand so every which way you turn your eyes of faith are seeing hope seeing victory and seeing a God who cannot and will not fail you my dear brother I want you to stop going by what you see in the mirror and I want you to start seeing (laughs) through the eyes of faith This is not just mere positive thinking. This is not mere new age visualization. I'm talking about the eyes of faith that in the name of Jesus, you would start tasting your miracle. You would start smelling your miracle. That you would start getting excited about your miracles. I said, my dear brother, God has heard your prayers. God has heard Lakeside praying. And God is not deaf, and God is not senile where he's forgetful. You don't need to keep praying. Start praising. God has already heard your request. Start praising. Start thanking the Lord. Start giving him honor and praise and glory and power and victory for the miracle that is coming your way. Get excited. Let expectation arise. Let your sight, uh, your visual sight, and your, 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 your spiritual sight see your unconquerable Christ. Now, my dear brother and my dear sister, God is sovereign. He's not a genie in Aladdin's lamp to do our bidding. God is sovereign. God is in control. The Bible says there is a time to be born and there's a time to die. I could get in my car right now and drive from your house, your home, and drive out on 24-mile road and, and, and instantly go into eternity and you could outlive me. God is in control. We don't own our next heartbeat. We don't own our next breath. You can't count on it. You can only count on our God who reigns. I would rather, my dear brother and my dear sister, I would rather step into eternity with a faith that remains unbent and unbowed. I would rather go into eternity where I've kept trusting my Lord. I've kept holding on to His promises. And if God takes me, so be it. But I'm not going to be unbent and unbowed. I'm not going to be defeatist or discouraged. I'm going to keep trusting my God. I'm going to keep holding on. I can't choose tomorrow. I can't choose the storms that come my way. But I can choose how I will respond to it. And I would rather go into glory shouting victory in Jesus than walking with my head bowed low. Grumbling, complaining, discouraged why I didn't get my miracle. The bottom line is this, church. I looked them in the eye and I said, the bottom line is this. Real victory in in, in life and eternity. Real victory is not receiving a healing. Real victory is not receiving a miracle. Real victory is a faith that refuses to kowtow to the devil. A faith that remains unconquerable. That's the kind of faith that gets the applause of heaven. That's the kind of faith that walks into heaven, shoulders square, head held up high. That's the kind of faith that hears, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Hallelujah. Do you hear me in this? Pastor, I've walked into this church as a guest. People are getting pretty emotional, pretty excited here. Hey, 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 hey. If people can get excited about Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton... If people can get excited about mere human flesh, isn't it about time we get excited about our Jesus? Come on! Come on! I don't know about you, but I'm already tired of the whole election process. Hey, many, many have tried to conquer Christ, but they couldn't. I said they couldn't. 
betrayal and rejection couldn't conquer him. <laughs> the Romans couldn't conquer him. The religious leaders couldn't. Uh, Herod and Pilate couldn't. The demons and the devils uh, of hell and death couldn't conquer Jesus. Write it down with me. Choose to really see. Choose to really see the unconquerable Christ. And he'll make you unconquerable too. Stand with me this morning. Stand with me this morning. When you set, when you set your eyes, when you set your spiritual eyes upon your unconquerable Christ, you're able to say, enemy, Go ahead. Attack my health. Go ahead. Because by his stripes, I am healed. I will rise again. Amen. When you keep your eyes on the unconquerable Christ, when you fasten and your focus on your living Savior, you're able to say, Go ahead. Attack my finances because my God shall supply all of my need according to his riches in glory through Christ Jesus. My Lord, I'm going to rise again. When you set your faith upon your Lord who cannot and will not fail you, no matter the storm, no matter the battle, no matter the demons of hell that roar against you, you can take your stand upon the promises of God and you can say, if God be for me, who can be against me? Go ahead and attack. I'm going to rise again. And even, even when old Slewfoot, even when the final enemy, death, comes knocking on your door, you can look him in the eye and say, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I will rise again. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Remain standing with us this morning.
morning you have a choice you have a choice not about the storm not about the battle we can't control that but we can control how we're going to respond this morning you're in the midst of warfare a battle God's operative word to you this morning is this battle is not yours. It is the Lord's. And when we don't know what to do, we can declare our eyes are upon you, Lord. This morning, it might be sickness. It might be finances. It might be a marital issue, a, a, a problem with a child a family matter. It might be an employment problem. It might be a business. I don't know what the issue is. But you're under attack. And the enemy of your soul would like to bring discouragement and despair and a sense of defeat. But this morning, you are declaring yourself that in Christ Jesus, you will rise again. This morning, if that's you, would you just lift your hand with me right now and join me? I got my hand lifted up. <laughs> the Lord knows what I'm representing. I've got my hand lifted up. If you need a miracle, a breakthrough, the unconquerable Christ to rise up in your situation, just lift up your hand. That's right. Amen. And now join me down here at this altar. Elders, pastors, deacons are coming. Spouses, join me at this altar right now. Cindy, lead us in song as they come right now. We're coming by faith. 